yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. You got your ass, babe. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow. Now is there? Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here, all right? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast, Podcast. with host Eddie Trunk. Hey everybody, it's Eddie Trunk and welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast, bringing you newsmaking interviews with the biggest names in rock and metal each and every Thursday. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and thank you for doing so. As I tell you every week, all the interviews you hear on this podcast originated on my radio show, Trunk Nation, which is heard Monday through Friday live on Faction Talk, Sirius XM Channel 103 or anytime on the Sirius XM app. There's also a nightly re-air of the show on 103 at midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific. Please come on board if you're in the U.S. or Canada and join me for the daily live radio show so you get the whole picture. If you only listen to this podcast, you are getting a tiny taste of what I do on the radio each and every weekday. Hope you come on board and join me. This week, an interview with a couple old friends, Chris Jericho, who you know from the world of wrestling, and also his band Fozzie. And P.J. Farley, best known for his time in the New Jersey band Trickster. I knew P.J. and those guys since they were kids. They're still kids as far as I'm concerned, (laughs) even though they're just a few years younger than me. P.J. still does Trickster every once in a while. He plays in a lot of different bands, including Fozzie and including a band with Jericho called Quarantine, which covers 80s Kiss material. So Jericho and P.J. came on my radio show, Trunk Nation, to talk about upcoming shows with quarantine that they had coming up at the time. Uh, Since this interview was done, those shows in fact did happen, but these guys are still out touring. And we talk about, of course, the main band they have together, which is Fozzie and a bunch of other stuff and a bunch of good kiss geek talk as well. So this week on the podcast, Chris Jericho, PJ Farley from Fozzie and quarantine. Enjoy. We are now joined by two old friends uh, joining me together. They both play in Fozzie and in Quarantine. Uh, my old Jersey buddy, PJ Farley, who you also know from his band Trickster and uh, playing in a variety of different groups. Peach, how are you, man? I'm good, man. Good to talk to you as always. You too. And uh, you just got, well, the, the classic line, Halloween is my UFO. <laughs> maybe best known for that line chris jericho what's up buddy man i don't know if you remember this eddie but you're actually the guy that introduced uh, pj and i back in the day probably 10 years ago or so so uh is that kind of right? like a rock yeah, yeah you're a rock and roll cupid where eddie. was that so we did your show steve and i did your show on new man this was probably like 12 or 13 years ago and you're like, come on, we're going to, you know, all three of us were going back to Jersey, obviously. And you're like, come on, Jericho just wrestled, having dinner at uh, Hands. You know, you, you guys, you guys got to meet. And, you know, the rest, the rest is history. It's been a bromance ever since. PJ, where's my percentage on all that money Jericho's paying you? <laughs> it's in the mail. It's in the mail. Just like they're telling me, it's in the mail. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Once PJ gets paid, you'll get paid. I actually had a dream the other day that PJ has been with us for two years. Has it been three years, two years, three Three years, three years years. that he he said, you know, I still haven't been paid yet. Like for what? The last tour? No, like ever. (laughs) That was my dream that PJ hadn't gotten a a penny yet. I'm like, what? You should be getting paid. You know, my heart, my heart does this for free, but my mortgage doesn't. (laughs) And wait, now, now this is coming back to me a little bit, because if I recall that Jericho being the, the fellow rock geek that he is, Chris, didn't you then proceed to grill Stephen PJ about the greatness of the second Trickster album yep. here? Yeah, that would be me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Look, who else would do that? <laughs> <laughs> I always love that record, man. I, I was a big fan of Trickster because they came out, first record came out basically when I was just starting my wrestling career. 
So I just really kind of always um, connect with them, with them because they were so young. We were probably all the same age. I was only 19. And that's probably what Brown was. PJ was like four or whatever he was. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but that, I, was, I was really into Trickster. And I, that was one of the, the great bands of that era um, because there were a few that I thought, man, if it wasn't for kind of the onslaught of the grunge movement and whatever you want to call it, I think Trickster would have been a lot bigger, just like maybe a Skid Row would be and a couple a couple other bands. But Trickster to me was better than, than most of those kind of early 90s last dregs of the, you know, hair metal, if you want to call it that. You know, I, I've talked about that a lot of, on this show, and a lot of people call in all the time on this show about bands that came out very late 80s or early 90s just before, as I call it, the gate came crashing down that would have had much longer careers and that were and, and in, in the case of like the second Trickster album here that were really, really good records, in some cases way better than the debut, but they just didn't stand a fight and chance because how unfair that whole movement was to, to those groups. And yeah, it sucked as I'm sure PJ, you can attest to be a band to come I'm, out at that time. Yeah. I'm living proof. Yeah. We could have made, I mean, we could have made Abbey road and it would have been like just a little too late kids. Sorry. Back, right. in, back in the garage, you go with your dirt bikes, <laughs> but you open, yeah, you open for kiss on that, on that tour, right? PJ. Revenge. You did you open the revenge tour? Yeah, sure did. So so I mean that Chris, did you like your your first? Wasn't that like your first Kiss show, Revenge or something? Like as an eighties no, no, Kiss no, no, guy? No, 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 no. I, I'm an eighties Kiss guy. My first Kiss gig was was Analyze tour, but that's actually how PJ got into quarantine when when it first uh, became a, a thing. Where, where Kent from the Luke Bryan band sent me this uh, track of drums he was doing, which was no, no, no. And he had uh, Joe McGinnis was playing on it from, from Classic 78. And I said, this is really cool. What are you doing with it? And they said, well, we want you to sing on it. We're just going to do it for fun. And I said, well, I'm not doing anything for fun because it was during the lockdown. And nobody uh, was really putting out new music. So they were looking for a, a bass player. And I thought, well, I already kind of had known PJ. He had just done my cruise with the Rubik's Cube. And I thought, well, he's got the street cred because he opened for Kiss on the Revenge Tour uh, you know, back in the non-makeup days. So he, that's how he basically got in the band was the fact that he had that Kiss street cred from opening for <laughs> them on that tour. Wow, that's, a, that's amazing. But um, so, so okay, so let's talk let, a few things here. First of all, before we get to quarantine, which for people that don't know, that was a band born out of the quarantine doing yeah. 80s Kiss covers, but we'll get to that in a second. But before we do, let's talk a little Fozzie because you guys are both, you know, you, uh, PJ, you're now in that band as well with Chris. And um, Chris, how's the new record been received? And you just did some shows with Ugly Kid Joe. How did that all go? Well, we've basically been on tour since March. We did uh, a couple months on our own, which was probably the biggest U.S. headlining tour that we ever, ever had. Then we did the co-headlining thing with, with Ugly Kid Joe, which has been a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I think the new record, you know, it's interesting, Eddie, and, and, and I'm not sure if PJ, PJ and I have even discussed this yet, but so we did the Boombox record, which came out last May, I believe, and it had been ready like three years prior. We've been working on it for three years because of the pandemic and all that stuff. We're calling it Chinese Fozocracy. <laughs> and, you know, when the record came out, we had three top 10 singles on the radio. And we play three more of the songs live, which all go over great. That's six tunes. And then you get six other tunes that we worked on for the better part of, you know, two, three years. And they kind of end up in the Fozzie dead song graveyard. Because there's only so many new songs you can play, um, especially the more albums that you do. And there's only so many singles you can release because, as you know, rock and roll is such a, you know, a money game. So you have these six tunes that, that, that are all, in my opinion, great songs, and, and we can't really ever use them. So I think in the future, I think the way to go is just do a song at a time and constantly release singles because that way you don't get, you know, these songs don't get lost in the shuffle, so to speak. Yeah, it's a lot of wasted energy, um, you know, putting together an entire record, which, you know, Eddie, I'm sure you hear people talking about that all the time now. It's just, you know, we're. Bands are releasing four singles before a full record comes out anyway. And by that time, it's like, 
they're already on to the next thing. So, yeah, like Chris said, you know, what happens to the other half of the record that is is just as good and as much work went into it, and then, you know, we can't play them live because, I mean, we're playing almost half the new record as it is, which is amazing, and it's going over great. Right. But, you know, that's it's got to end there. You know, I mean, you can't do it more. And then what? What happens to the rest of the rest of the record? You know, people just aren't they're not they're not into records anymore. So it's a shame, but it is what it is, and you know, we get it. Yeah, but isn't that how it's always been? Like, okay, all of us are Kiss fans, right? Obviously, right. you can't. I mean, Destroyer, most would agree, top to bottom, great record. But there's, you know, you can only really play Detroit Rock City from it, and. Uh, you know, what, whatever. I mean, it's yeah, but every was, band has that. But that was in a time when people, well, we bring the record first and foremost, don't care what songs they're playing live, don't care about what song is a single. We're going to get the record and we want the whole thing. And it's just, you know, it's just a different model. It's just, it's just not like that anymore. And yeah, when you're in the radio yeah, that, game. It is kind of a sad thing because all of us are, 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 you know, album children and understand the greatness of the great rock and roll records. You know, um, the Master of Puppets, the ebb and flow of, of, from, from Battery to, to Damage Incorporated is, is second to none, and there's dozens of other records like it. But the problem is, I think nowadays, people consume their music so much differently. You know, you and I and, and PJ would go still get the record and listen to it from top to bottom. Most people don't. It's just song, and it, it's, that's pop music, that's country music, that's rock music. And I think now, especially for us being such a radio-oriented band, that it's great to have the momentum of three, you know, hit, quote-unquote, hit songs. And then you're gone for a year and a half making a new record. Whereas I think if you, can, if you can feed a new song to radio every, you know, four or five months, that might be better for the band to constantly be, you know, in, in people's faces. You, you know, so I, I think you, it's like everything else. Things always change. And you either accept it and adapt to it, or you kind of stick with the way things were. And I just see things kind of moving in a different direction with the, with the way that people consume music nowadays. Yeah, no, I mean, I've heard this a lot from people, and everybody has a different take on it. And I get it. And I get it from a standpoint of you guys being musicians, songwriters, and the frustration of people only knowing two or three songs out of ten because that's all that you had a video for or that's all that got some radio. So I, I totally get all that. You know, I wonder, I'm personally not on the vinyl kick. I'm a CD guy. I still love a full album, but I like, I still want CDs. That's my thing. But I wonder if for because of this vinyl resurgence, if you will, that's going on, if that's going to maybe help offset some of the stuff you're talking about, because you would think if somebody's going to go get a record and be willing to flip it and clean it and listen to it, they're going to listen to all 10 songs instead of just dropping the needle on the two or three songs that you made videos for. So maybe that helps change that trend. If the vinyl thing continues, I mean, do you think or no? You know, I mean, I, I think that there's, there's, I think vinyl is something that, I would surmise um, that vinyl is something that, once again, people our age listen to more than people. You know, like my daughter's 16. She's got a turntable, and, and she, you know, she likes Fleetwood Mac and Stevie Nicks and has a couple of other kind of more modern uh, artists' uh, albums. But it's not like she's in her room listening to records like we, we used to do. They, they put on their phone. They go to the song they want to hear. Then they shuffle. You know, they go to the next one. They make playlists. They find playlists. And... and you know, it's just the way that things are, just the way that things have changed. So I just, my biggest thing was, I just felt with this last record, because we spent so much time with the songs because of the lockdown, we, we didn't want to release music that you couldn't tour on, that you couldn't go into radio stations and promote. And as a result, there's these songs that, like I said, I just knew they're all great tunes. Of course, every band is going to say, this is the best record we've ever done. I'm still waiting for a band to say, this is the third best record we've ever done. <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you know those songs just kind of disappear. So I just feel like right now, like, are you working on a new record? No, but we are working on a new song, and it's a great one. And I think the moment we're ready to release it, we'll put it out to radio and then just kind of move forward with that in mind. 
Yeah. This way we only have to add one new song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every yeah. three months. No, no, I, I get I get all that. I really do. It's just, you know, as an old school guy and well, what not not just old school, old guy now. I I just I just love the uh the idea of a record. Like I just got done talking to Jay from Rival Sons and we were talking about this because they've made two new records and they're releasing them three months apart because they want time for their audience to digest the records. Even though there's only eight songs on each record, they wanted to put that space in between there. And they, he was, you know, he was talking about, cause again, there's so many different approaches to this. He was talking about like, yeah, we're just going to play our, our new record. Like we know that we now have eight records or something to pull from, but we're just going to be selfish and we're going to do what we want to do and hope the audience comes along. And in their case, they say most of the time they do, but I, I do see all sides of it. I think especially with younger bands, they're moving more towards the, a series of singles and then maybe somewhere down the line, we'll sequence everything together and give you a record. So everybody yeah. seems to have a different approach on it. Well, and once again, you know, like if you have a great ardent, ardent fan base, you know, like Rival Sons does, you can play your new record. And I never had a problem with that. You know, like when Maiden did A Matter of Life and Death a few years ago, people had a, a riot because they played the whole record, you know, from top to bottom, which might be a little overkill, but that's also kind of Steve Harris's MO. I know on this new tour, the future past, it's a lot of caught somewhere in time songs, but it's a lot of new songs and they're long songs. So there's going to be people like, you know, I can just hear the, you know, the, the, the rich wards of the world going, they play too many new songs because they're too long. You know, for me, as you know, there's, you, you won't find a bigger Iron Maiden fan than I am. And you know this, Eddie. I love the fact they're playing the new songs. And I'm going to be going nuts for every one of them because I know them. But a lot of fans aren't like that. For us, we have to play, you know, a certain amount of songs that, that were hits on the radio and songs that people know and people like. And then, like I said, you can play half your new record. So rather than leaving the other half in the dust, I'm just under the assumption and under the mindset that I'd rather just make every song great, give every song a chance to live and breathe and, and be a hit on the radio, and then be a live standard. Or you can do what Metallica did and make a video for every song on the record. <laughs> well, they're, they're another band. They could go play 72 seasons in its entirety, and people would go nuts for it. I and mean, that's the the beauty of having that long-term crazy fan base, you know, um, the untouchable zone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, once again, I think it's just my opinion of what we want to do and, and maybe in two years that'll change. But I just think right now that that to me seems to be the best way to get the most value out of every song that you write. You know, just as, as music geeks here, the three of us talking, speaking of Metallica, it is pretty unbelievable what they're doing with this tour where they're playing two nights in every city and not yeah, only hurts. not repeating a song between the two nights, but not even repeating an opening act. I mean, yeah. that, that again, I, I understand we're dealing with the elite level of elite, but still the undertaking to do that, like the, like so many, so many fans, as you know, bitch and moan about artists not changing their set list much part of the reason why artists don't do that too is it takes a lot like you got to rehearse you got to lighting cues whatever you got to deal with these guys like there's going to be if you go to see metallica say two nights in phoenix and you or you only go one of the nights you're not one of those nights you're not hearing their biggest song enter sandman like the ability to leave that on the table again that's rarefied air but i think that's really cool it's the ultimate commitment that Metallica is doing and, and show of appreciation for where they are in their career to be able to, to say, at this point in our career, we're going to work even harder for our shows. Because essentially, that's what they're doing. They probably, they'll tell you they've never worked harder to prepare for a tour than they are now at this point in their career when they can just literally ride it out and play a very typical set but even like you said it's an undertaking even just the, the logistics of having huge openers rotating and making that all work with their schedules and it's like there's so much going on with that tour that i don't think people really can understand or appreciate but it, it, you got to tip your hat to metallica and you know what they're trying to accomplish and 
provide for their fans in order. And it's also, you know, it also gives incentive for fans to come back the next night too. So it's brilliant. They're putting in the work, but hopefully in return, the people will come back multiple nights. Well, the thing about it too, that, you know, the Metallica has always done that. If you go back to the 30th year anniversary where they played 80 songs total and the only one they played every night was Seek and Destroy. You know, so when you're learning, you know, to live is to die for one night, that's a nine minute instrumental piece that they probably hadn't never played live. It kind of shows the commitment that they have, you know, and I think that's, that's half the fun of it. Like Grant and I, Grant, our drummer and I look at the set list every night to see what do they change? What do they play? Oh, tonight they played until it sleeps. It's amazing. And you know, the Chili Peppers do that too. You can go to three different Chili Peppers concerts and you'll get three completely different sets. And Chad told me they usually know about 50 songs. I would say Metallica probably knows about 50 songs for this tour as well, because that's just the commitment they do. It's not like Kiss or Maiden where they play the same set for the whole tour and that's what you get. And so it's exciting to me because it's almost like going, when you're a little kid, you go to the birthday party and you get the grab bag. What did you get? Oh, I got Trapped Under Ice. Shit, I got, you know, battery. I wish I got Trapped Under Ice. And then that, that adds to, you know, you can go to every single one of these shows and get something different every time. And that's part of the fun of going to the show. And that's also my point. It's like, look, they're playing stadiums. It's like, and multiple nights. You you you, you want to bring seventy two thousand people to a stadium. You know, you got to give them a reason to come back because yeah. there's only so many people in the world, let alone you know so many Metallica fans. So it's like you know, and you know, hats off to them for giving putting in the work and giving them the incentive to come back. So. Yeah. Hey, Chris, one more thing on this singles debate. Um, you, I'm, I'm sitting in my studio now looking at it on my wall, and I thank you for sending me this. But you, 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 the, the, speaking of singles, you, you had something recently that's maybe unprecedented for a rock band in that Fozzie had a gold single for Judas. And that had to just be surreal for you to see gold records come in in 2022 or 23 for anything these days, let alone a single. I mean, that's amazing. It, you know, it's one of those things like, I I can't even describe it. You know what I mean? Like I remember watching Ozzy on MTV or much music or whatever, going through his house and Rudolph Shanker did too and showing all the gold discs and platinum discs. And it's like to ever think that's possible you know, like you said, in this day and age, if you're not Metallica, was almost like, well, you know, those days are gone. And and what happened was the the song right out of the gate did a ton of YouTube views. It did a million views on YouTube, the video, in the first week. I don't know what it was, just something about the timing of it, and, it, you know, it became a hit. But then what happens is, like, nowadays, stream, uh, streaming has a part in gold record units as well so it's not just it's not just the units that you sell on itunes like who's still buying music right well some people still do but there's also this weird chart of like one million streams equals you know freaking ten thousand sales or some ridiculous thing like that so if you get 75 million streams on spotify that equates to a gold record nowadays and you take that number of the Spotify, you take the YouTube views and you take the actual singles sold and you'll see kind of how it all shakes down. And I remember hearing about a year before, if Judas continues to get the same, you know, downloads, streams, sales, and YouTube views, it's probably going to go gold in a year. And it actually took 10 months for it to go gold. And, and when you got that notification and then like an accountant has to go over it and sign off on it, like it's quite the, it's quite the process, but to get that in the mail and have it up on the wall, it's one of those things where you're almost like, it almost looks like you, you bought it at some, you know, joke store or something, but, but it's not a joke. <laughs> it's real. And that to me is one of my all time biggest, biggest accomplishments. Cause you know, Ed, you've, you've, you've been in the Fozzie story from the start and you know, the trials and tribulations of the band existing and uh, you know, people not liking it just because I'm in the band or whatever it may be. And now it's like anybody that still has a problem with Fozzie can literally go fuck their ass because I got a gold record on my wall. Yeah. That shuts up everyone. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and well, that's kind of my point is is not only is it unheard of in today's music industry, but it would even be if anybody that truly knows the history of Fozzie and how you started it and what it started as 
and and what you had to overcome with the stigma of oh it's just uh, some pro wrestler getting his kicks i mean to come this far to have that i mean hell man i mean again i i appreciate the hell out of you thinking of me and sending me that because to me for what i do that's like the ultimate reward when you get behind something or you help something out and to see it come to that level so for you being the guy that battled all those things and pushed through all of that to come out there like you said and be like yeah i mean it's it's really a badge of anyone that questioned the legitimacy it's a, it's you know like you said what i think your exact words were fuck my ass or kiss my ass or something <laughs> <laughs> whatever it was i understand that completely because i feel the same there, way there's a, there's a, there's a soundbite for you well, yeah, maybe it's the name of the next record <laughs> well, the, the thing that's cool about it too is the song like you know it, they play it in hockey arenas during games they play it in, in soccer games in england uh football games they played it before i get texts and and, and um uh, Twitter t- Twitter posts all the time of people saying they heard it here. Uh, it was on Cobra Kai, uh, the Karate Kid TV show. Like you know, you start getting it, it starts seeping into you know the, the pop culture you know world. And what my well, it's not as big as Enter Sandman or you know You Shook Me All Night Long for Fozzie. It is. It really did open a lot of doors and really did take the band to the next level. So. Just to just to get that reward of the elusive hit single and combine that with an actual you know gold record that proves it, it just really man. It, like I said, like there's a lot of cool things that have happened in, in in my world in my life, but this is right up there as one of the all time coolest things to get that gold record in the mail, and then to sit down and say, well, who should we who should we give them to? Who's helped us along the way? And you know, Metallica brought you to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Eddie, for your involvement with their, you know, build, build. And, you know, while we're not in the hall of fame, you were the same with, with Fozzie and always kind of giving us a, a break and a chance and a place to talk about the band. So, and there was, there was a few others like you. So we were always wanted to make sure to kind of give the, the thumbs up and the pat in the back to all the people that kind of helped us get to that point. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. L- last thing on Fozzie before we go over to quarantine, what was, what's been the biggest song from Boombox? Was it I Still Burn? Yeah, I Still Burn was actually, um, I think, and, and don't misquote me on this, it was one of the top 10 most played songs on iHeartRadio last year. Um, it didn't get to number one. I think it stopped about number seven. But as far as just getting plays, we actually got a chart that it was, I think it was like number nine or something like this for the most played uh, song on iHeartRadio, the kind of the whole conglomeration. So that was the biggest one. Sane gets a huge uh, reaction, too. That's got a lot of uh, steam behind it as well. So those are kind of the two biggest ones from that record. I told you, Chris, having a, a second place in Vegas and in Vegas often, the local rock station there, every time I got in the car, it seemed like I Still Burn was on. I was texting you. It was amazing. I mean, yeah. that that's that's no – I mean, again, people will – any rock band will tell you getting radio is, like, impossible for some bands. Uh, and the fact that you, as you said earlier, that Fozzie's now looked at as a quote-unquote radio band is is in and of itself remarkable. Yeah, you're right because there's only so much real estate um, in these playlists. It's, you know, it's not like it's not like you. You just play wherever you want. I mean, you know, modern rock is very regimented. Right. So I don't care. You know, and obviously you have to put some some financial steam behind it, but that doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't make any difference because if you put out a record and it's like, well, Papa Roach has one coming out this week and Two Fighters have one coming out next week and then Beartooth's got one coming out this week. So there's only so many ads a station can do. So then they have to decide which ones they want to add, you know, and you need to get it to get in the top 10. You need like a thousand plays a week. It's pretty hard to get, you know, and to, and to get to number one, you need probably almost close to 2000, which is really hard to get. So it's one of those things, the more singles you chart in the top 10, the more real estate opens up when, when you know, Fozzie's released a new song. Well, we've got our list of stations that always add us. We've got the list of stations that sometimes add us. We've got the list of stations that ne- never add us that now you have to convince to add us. So it really is like, you know, the business side of rock and roll, like, thank goodness I'm a numbers guy. Like Rich Ward doesn't care. Like he cares, but he can't be bothered where every week I'll be watching. Oh, do we got, you know, oh, we, oh, we got three extra plays in Sioux City Falls, Iowa. Okay, that's cool. 
oh, it went down two, 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 two slots in Poughkeepsie. How do we get that one back up? And it's just, you know, that you need a team of people that are all kind of playing this chess game to get these, these ads and to keep them spinning. And it's another thing too, like when you start spinning the plates in September and it takes two months to get to, you know, the top 20, you still got to go back and spin the plates that were, that were started in September for two months. That's hard to get airplay for two months on a station. It's a testament to the sun for sure. Yeah. So it really is an interesting strategic game. Let's talk a little bit about quarantine and, and Chris, why don't you take this one uh, as the guy who kind of, you referenced it earlier, put this together. But for those that don't know, we all, all three of us on this interview are uh, kiss geeks. Um, Tell the audience that maybe I'm I'm sure most of my audience does know what quarantine is, but for those that don't uh, tell everybody about the origins of quarantine and what exactly quarantine is. Yeah. I kind of touched on it before when I mentioned that. So Kent Slusher is a drummer for Luke Bryan, who is, one of the biggest uh, country artists in, in America today, stadium level guy. Uh, but I've known Kent for a while, and he's also another non makeup 80s Kiss fan, f- a fanatic. And, and there is a, a, a subgenre of subgenre of subgenre of guys who love non makeup Kiss even more than makeup Kiss. And you know, I'm one of them. People are going to be screaming from the rafters, but I don't care. I love non makeup Kiss. That's how I discovered the band. It'll always be my favorite era. Well, Kent felt the same, and he put together the, the, the no, 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 you know, drum track. And, and Joe McGinnis, who's in Classic '78, which is probably the best Kiss records that have been released over the last few years. That, that aren't Kiss. Aren't Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> For those who know, I mean, Char- Char- Charlie Benanti's their drummer. Um, so they were doing it just for fun. And I said, you know, well, sure, I'll sing on it, but let's let's see what we can do with it. Let's try and release it. And we got PJ involved. And so No, 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 which was an obscure B-side track from the Crazy Nights record, went on to become the highest charting single from the Crazy Nights record. It beat Reason to Live and it beat Crazy Nights. If you go back to 1987, 1988, which I'm sure thrilled Paul immensely. <laughs> 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 Gene's song uh, beat their, his two tracks. But, so then we had something. And then we did, then we did uh, Heart of Chrome from Revenge. And then we did, um, uh, what else did we do? We did Love's, Love's uh, Deadly Weapon, Deadly Weapon uh, from Asylum. And then the last one we did was Silver Spoon from Hot in the Shade, which that one also went top 20. So I think we ended up having two or three top 20 <laughs> hits with these <laughs> obscure Kiss tunes. And then we got another dude from uh, Peru called Charlie Para, who's one of the best guitar players you'll ever have. So we now have two shredders in our non-makeup Kiss band, uh, which allows us to have guitar duels and all the harmonies and that sort of thing. And we just have fun with it. You know, um, we, we've played Jericho Cruise a few times. We played Creatures Fest last year, which was awesome. That was where Vinny, Ace, and Bruce Kulick played. Uh, Bruce joined us on the Heart of Chrome uh, song that we did in a video. And we just we do it because we love Kiss, and it's fun for us to play these songs outside of our normal bands. You know, like like Luke Bryan doesn't have a lot of double bass parts, uh, <laughs> like, like Loves a Deadly Weapon does. You know, and Fozzie doesn't do a lot of kind of really high '80s Paul Stanley screams that, that we have in these tunes as well. So it's just fun for us. It's great to play with other musicians, and there is a market for non makeup '80s Kiss because if you think about it, and I'll end off with this. Modern Kiss doesn't really focus on that era. They'll do Heavens on Fire and, and maybe Tears Are Falling or maybe Hide Your Heart. But other than that, it's pretty much ignored. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, I just had Corey Taylor on this show and we were talking about Corey has this weird obsession lately with the elder. And we were talking hmm. about that. And then we just did a whole podcast about it. Yeah. So, oh yeah, right. He had mentioned that actually. I haven't heard that yet, but he mentioned that. I got to check that out. But he was talking about it and I said to him, he was at my place in Vegas and we were sitting there and I said, well, listen, how, how kiss geeky are you? I said, could you like get into deep tracks from the eighties records? And he's like, oh yeah, absolutely. And I said yeah. like, so then he throws out, I'll fight hell to hold you, which is on <laughs> crazy nights. So his stock and credentials immediately went right up. <laughs> so I knew that he was, he was more than legit, yeah. 
But yeah, there are people that like both eras, myself included. There's obvious, but obviously you're right, Chris. The band themselves, ever since they put the makeup back on and and started and been doing what they're doing, they've largely, outside of a song or two, ignored an entire era of their history. And depending upon how old you are, that might have been your era of Kiss. And sure. I know for you and, and probably for PJ too, I mean, you actually opened for Kiss in that era, but th- that's where you jumped in because if you're, I mean, I'm 58. If you're 10 years younger or so, you may have discovered Kiss, like you said, with Animal Eyes or whatever the case may be. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, you know, <laughs> we can't overlook the fact that part of the part of the reason that they gloss over the era could be because and as we learn doing these songs, oh, they're not easy. They're, they're not, not easy to play. They're not easy to sing. I mean, they're sorely overlooked from a musical standpoint. Yeah. And, you know, going down that rabbit hole and learning these songs, like, wow, I don't think they could play this even if they tried. Like, yeah, some I, things I, sound like mistakes and they're just, uh, I mean, it's pretty difficult to kind of recreate. We, we rehearsed quite a bit to get these songs down um, you know, prior to the gigs. And I never rated Love's a Deadly Weapon. Didn't think twice about it. Same with uh, No, No, No. Those are hard songs to play. They're hard songs. Like like Peter said, there's weird time signatures. There's a crazy backwards beat on Love's a Deadly Weapon that we just dropped. It's like, this is too hard <laughs> to play. Thou Shalt Not from Revenge has a really weird time signature part that it still gets us every time. So, uh, you know, there are there, if people are like kind of bagging on Kiss for not being great musicians, I I, I implore you to go listen to some of these tunes uh, and see just how difficult they can be. So that's another reason why Kiss might not do them. But the thing is with us too, we incorporate the, the fun part of that era. Like when we did uh, <laughs> Creatures Fest, <laughs> surprised I didn't get canceled because I did Paul Stanley's raps from the Kiss Uncensored uh, uh, VHS tape in its entirety. That nurse had the biggest tits I've ever seen. You know, like you can't say that stuff anymore. <laughs> While wearing the Paul Stanley outfit, the chain shirt rubbing yeah. your nipples. Chain shirt from Exeter <laughs> from Rock, Mission Rock Hard. But, so we have that element to it, too. There's a fun vibe from that era. And the musicianship is great, but just the pompousness is ridiculous. And just the stuff that Paul, you know, got away with. And, you know, you can't say that stuff anymore. Nor would you even want to. But that attitude is kind of what we like to have on our shows when we play as well. Is that 80s kiss, you know, we always have, uh, spoiler alert, we always have a, a chick planted in the crowd throwing bras and panties on stage. Because <laughs> that's part of it. How many bras can you hang on your mic stand that oh, all, these, all these hot chicks were in the crowd for Uncensored? Where are they? These shows are crowd shots. <laughs> And there's the one chick, but they're throwing these lingerie up in, in you know in streams, and they're constantly hanging them on their mic stand, totally planted. There's no way that chicks were doing that, but that's the kiss attitude from the <laughs> '80s, and that to me is another, you know, it's another great part of what we do when we play live. They had a, they had a road case full of bras backstage. They just all hung them exactly. on on the mic stands. Yeah in order to look yeah. like they were all being thrown up. Yeah, because every woman would have walked out of that arena uh, practically naked if that was really all going up there. They, they had Big John standing in the photo pit throwing the underwear on stage. <laughs> oh, God, that's too great. Um, so so, so as far as um, quarantine is concerned, you've got live shows coming up. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, we have the- we're, we have a, a string of shows. <laughs> it's funny because the only public show we've played was Creatures Fest. <laughs> other, than, other than that, we played Chris's house, like for his birthday parties or something, or, or on his cruise. But so then we're like, you know, we're always on our group text, like, oh man, we got to do, we got to play some more. You know, it's just so much fun, and people, you know, people are asking. So we somehow strung together three shows in a row at the end of this month coming up. And uh, so it's like a mini quarantine, as we're calling it. And it's, I mean, it's obviously with our schedules just so crazy. It's probably going to be the only shows of the year. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's now's the yeah, time to come in. PJ kind of said we had a captive audience. We, we played a birthday party for me in my backyard. <laughs> we played a couple of Jericho cruises. Um, 
you know, and then we played Creatures Fest, but the band always goes over. Obviously, I mean, people are cheering because it's just a rock and roll band with fun. But this is kind of our first, let's venture out and play a couple gigs. So we got Pittsburgh on the 29th of June. We've got uh, Columbus, Ohio on the 30th of June and July 1st, where you are at. Uh, what's it called? Where's JD Legends at, DJ? So, yeah, we have, yeah, we have Jurgles in Pittsburgh on the 29th and Warrendale, uh, Pennsylvania, which is a place that Fozzie plays all the time and it sells out. Same with King of Clubs in Columbus, which is a huge, beautiful new venue in Columbus. It's kind of kind of this spot in Columbus um, called King of Clubs. And we just sold that out back in, what, April, I think? Yeah. Yeah. And um, JD Legends, which is a great indoor-outdoor venue. We're playing the outdoor stage in Franklin, Ohio, which is basically like the Dayton area. So it's, um, it's a good little three-day run there and uh so we're looking forward to it chris are you seeing people coming or well you really haven't done actual shows like this but do you suspect that the people coming are more fozzy slash jericho fans that are just going to go along with the ride for your kiss 80s obsession or do you think it's a lot of kiss fans who are coming to just hear these songs played well live or a little of both I think probably at the start, it was like, because like we said, we started this during the lockdown. Nobody was releasing new material, right? Like there's just, it was, so it kind of filled a little bit of a void radio wise. So if everyone knows that, that I love, um, you know, non-makeup 80s kiss. So they probably came, uh, listened to the songs to, you know, hear Chris Jericho's kiss tribute band, but they're probably expecting, you know, shout it out loud or something that they don't understand the difference. And then when you hear, you know, crazy, or, uh, no, 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 which sounds almost like something from the Eat Him and Smile record or something along those lines. But I think people kind of got into the music of it. Obviously, the key to this ever sustaining itself is to get over with the Kiss fans, um, which is why when we did Creatures Fest, I was really happy with that show because those people, I don't think a lot of them even knew who Chris Jericho is. I mean, they might, but they're there to see Kiss. You know, they're there to see Vinny, Vincent, Ace Fraley, Bruce Kulick, and Bruce's Bruce's band play. Now, you know, Todd Kearns and Brent Fitz and Zach Throne, that's a pretty formidable rock and roll band right there. We got a great band, too, but like I said, we do the pomposity of it. You know, <laughs> Todd Kearns in a pink, you know, uh, spandex <laughs> well, the trench coat, and nor should you. But that's what I do. <laughs> I embrace the, you know, Who Wants to Be Lonely video, and I want that exact costume. So I think, you know, I think people that, that like 80s Kiss, that like Kiss, will really like Quarantine as well because we do a great job with these tunes. we got a great band to play them. And we have two guitar players as well, but they're both shredders. So, you know, that's something that Kiss has never had. They've had Paul as a great rhythm player, and Bruce Kulick was a great guitar player all across the board. But we got these two ridiculous shredders that can add some, you know, re, you know, Malmsteen-esque trills to these tunes. And so, it, like I said, it's just, it's just a fun thing. And obviously, Fozzie fans will might be interested and Jericho fans might be interested. But we really need to appeal to the Kiss fans that are looking for a band to play these great tunes that, that Kiss themselves never touch on. Now you guys all know got, uh, members of Kiss uh, well. What has been, Chris, the feedback... <laughs> from gene <laughs> paul bruce on you doing this well bruce loves it bruce loves quarantine he's always talking about quarantine because once again he's very proud of his era of kiss um he like i said he, he joined us on heart of chrome played the solo on it and did the video and all that sort of stuff um <laughs> paul paul is paul i mean paul's had some really <laughs> interesting funny comments uh, really funny <laughs> about some of the stuff. <laughs> Paul, Paul likes uh, Heart of Chrome, and Paul likes uh, a Silver Spoon. And we're, his <laughs> songs. That's it. His songs, right? <laughs> exactly. Sounds some, about right. Has some, question, some questionable emojis about some of the other songs. <laughs> but I mean, Paul is, is is awesome. But he, you know how he is. He's very straightforward when it comes to critiques about their former work, you know, and, and, um, you know, like, like I said, one time I said, the elder's not that bad. He goes, no, it's worse. <laughs> you know, that's like a classic Paul <laughs> family, you know, kind of, uh, thought process there. Uh, and Gene, you know, Gene always, he, he gives me the same thing on email every time, a happy face, happy face, thumbs up, 
a happy face, thumbs up, kissy face, you know, that sort of stuff. So um, I, I know that Gene knew about uh, No, No, No for sure because I was very um, kind of proud of the fact that, it, you know, that we kind of fl- flew the flag for his tune that once again did, um, did end up being you know, the highest charted single from the Crazy Nights record. Now, listen, what I'm saying, charting, on, on it's not like it's the, the modern rock, you know, top 10 that Fozzie makes. There's a lot of different categories of stations and, 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 and you know, music and all that stuff, but there's this one one chart. I think it's like, I can't even remember what it's called. Like, just like the the rock chart or media something. Media base or something That's like that. Yeah. yeah, media base, media base. So it's not the Billboard charts, but it's still a top 20 tune is a top 20 tune. You can asterisk it all you want, you know, but the bottom line is it still made it to the top 20 of a chart somewhere. And the number one is, you know, I think the one, I think the last Silver Spoon, I think number one at the time was um, uh, the Aussie tune um, that came out the first one off the second, the, the, the second record that he did with, with, with Trujillo and those guys. It wasn't under the graveyard, but one of those type of tunes that he put out uh, plan nine. Uh, patient, patient number nine. Patient number patient nine. Number nine yeah. Yeah. I think patient number nine was number one the last time Silver Spoon was like number twenty or whatever it was. So, anyway, so they are very legitimate charts, and those are the ones that 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 play our tunes, and those are kind of more like I said, the Sioux City Falls and the Poughkeepsie's and those type of places. But hey, there's, there's Kiss will tell you, as Paul will tell you, there's great rock and roll fans in every city, and um, a lot of them like the the '80s Kiss era. All right, so just a few more minutes here because we could go into super geek rabbit holes here. But <laughs> what's the next song? You said you've done four Kiss covers with Quarantine. Yeah. What's in what? What do you want to do next? We've already. So did you track your parts yet, PJ? For for it? Oh yeah. It's, yeah. So it's I think just they're just waiting on me to make it into the studio. I've had such a crazy last three months, but yeah. So it, it stays with the you know in between the Animalize uh, Revenge era. We haven't covered anything from Carnival of Souls yet. We probably never, probably won't. Um, but I will say this: there's a pattern. You know, we started with No No No, then we did Heart of Chrome, then we did Love's a Deadly Weapon, then we did Silver Spoon. So that tells you kind of who is going to be next as far as who who wrote and sang the next song. Uh, and you can take a guess. So it will be a Gene song. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to remember if there's a chronological thing to those records. We wouldn't tell. We wouldn't tell you even if you guessed it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be okay. all you're going to say is it's a Gene song. Well, yeah, there you go. You, you want your, you want a scoop? There's a scoop. Jericho and PJ announced on Eddie Trunk that the next quarantine song will be a Gene Simmons song. Oh, that's all you're saying? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> that should make it. That's, that's going to make it on Billboard right there. Oh, yeah. Blabbermouth <laughs> clamoring right now. Um, hey, slow news day, yeah. You know what we're going to do, though, Eddie. As soon as it's ready to go, you'll be the first one to get it, and you can do the worldwide <laughs> debut when, of the new uh, quarantine song. When do you want to have it out? Um, the, well, I mean, one of the ideas was to try and have it out before these shows, but it just it just didn't work out schedule-wise as far as I was too busy to get in the studio. But um, it'll probably be out, I would say, now that, that this kind of reign of terror for me is done, I'd like to track it as soon as possible to be able to release it probably in the fall. What's harder to sing, the Gene stuff or the Paul stuff? Because Paul stuff back then was up there, man. It is, but you know what? Underrated, so was Gene. Um, there's a scream at the end of Not for the Innocent and that's not the song we're doing that's so high uh, he does it also there's a, there's a huge long screen scream at the end of Love's a Deadly Weapon that's very high so um, I mean Paul's obviously at his peak at that time frame so those songs are hard to sing but those songs I know them like Heart of Chrome I think I, I tracked it in an hour because I know that song I've been singing it since it came out no, 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 I never sang it in my life. I knew the song, but that was harder to sing because, like we said, it's a little bit off time. Same with Love's a Deadly Weapon. So the Gene songs have a lot of merit as a vocalist as well. I think Gene's one of the most underrated musicians in rock and roll history as a bass player, as a singer, as a songwriter, uh, all across the board. Uh, I know you guys are just – I just missed you – I, well, Chris, I just missed you in Vegas twice because yeah. a few weeks ago I was there – and I was actually there the night before at the hotel that Gene did his VIP oh, deal or yeah. whatever. I was actually there in the hotel the night before meeting up with some people. And then 
Um, and Brent Woods played in Gene's band, and I was with him and Fitz at the bar, and we were hanging out, and we were talking, and then I know you went, you and PJ were both there, but I my, I don't know, were you there when he actually played with the solo band? No, we had a gig the night before in Phoenix. We played a radio festival on that night, but we did go there for the second night, which was the dinner, and uh, I mean, geez, he's just... He never changes, man. He's always a very cool guy. Oh, we have had some fun. It was great to see, obviously, Kearns and Fitz and Eric Singer and Bruce Kulik was there. I mean, Bruce just came to our gig last night in Atlanta. Coincidentally, he was there with Grand Funk. It's like I've seen Bruce more in the last two weeks than I have <laughs> in the last, you know, five years. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was you know, Gene does things right and he makes his fans feel special. And you can bag on him for like, oh, it costs so much money. Every single person who paid that money got their money's worth. I can mm-hmm. vouch for that right now. Every yeah, single sure. person. He put the time in to make sure everybody was satisfied, didn't he, PJ? Absolutely. And actually, we when Chris and I walked in, he was we walked in to his table, and he was answering a question. Somebody just asked him why he's doing this, you know? And he just went into a really cool, elaborate yeah. answer about how, you know, it's, it's more or less a humbling experience for him because he's like, look, I have friends a lot of my friends and he points to Chris, you know, like this, you know, who's you have a hangout with superstars and it's all private planes and all this and all that. And, and he wasn't saying it in a condescending way. He was just saying, this is a chance for me to sit down with you guys and just be and be a normal person and talk. I mean, yeah, of course it's like, Oh yeah, well it's five, you know, five grand a plate or whatever, whatever the cost was. People don't have to pay it if they don't want to. Some people have the money, and to them, that's worth it. And that's who it's for, you know? And it was, he just explained it really well. So, uh, you know, like Chris said, you can bag on them all you want, but, you know, I put my, I put my dukes up and defend them because he, he was genuinely there for, out of a, a, from a good place, you know, it wasn't about money. Yeah. It didn't I, hurt, but it wasn't about it. Right. No, I know. Um, <laughs> I know Christina who runs the museum and ran that event actually. And she told me the same thing. It's the same thing with him putting all that stuff in the, uh, in that museum in Vegas, because he, they were telling me it, it, it is coming from a place where like, I guess he's feeling a little bit of his own mortality now getting older. And it's just like, I want to share these experiences with the fans. They're the ones that would truly appreciate it. And of course, there's always going to be a monetary end to anything Gene does, but it is from a sincere place. And I thought that that was actually really cool because she works directly with him on that stuff. And she told me that's exactly what he was saying as well. That's it. I mean, yeah, I mean, he got money from it, obviously, but there by no stretch was uh, that the takeaway for him. He, he yeah, that's the thing I've noticed from both of them, from Paul and Gene. If you, if you saw them on Stern, I mean, Paul was so great on that show, uh, just discussing Kiss and kind of the mindsets. And like those guys both know they've had a pretty cool life and they've got great fans and they both really respect that. And I, I always get that from both of those guys. You know, they're, they're, they're both very cool individuals in different ways, but they both, neither one of them takes what, what Kiss has done and what they've created and the fan base they've created for granted. That's one of the cool things about getting to know them. You know, and you know this too, Eddie, getting to any, anybody that's your heroes. You first meet them, you're a little nervous, and then the walls break down and you realize just, they're just cool guys that have a cool job, just like us. We all have cool jobs. And once you get past the, oh, my God, it's, it's Lars. He's like, Lars is like the nicest guy, the coolest guy. And, you know, I find that with, with both Gene and Paul as well. Yeah, and, of course, that Stern interview touched off the legendary – a really <laughs> double header meltdown right on this very radio show. Oh, um, yeah. Which had people thinking Ace had turned into Henry Hill or something at that at some point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I will uh, forever think of the stern interview of what it led to selfishly for this show and Ace's unprovoked, <laughs> you know, laying down the gauntlet, which was. Oh, man, you got him on a good day. Quite you know, entertaining. You know, I, love, you know, I love Paul's response. It's something that I would do. I'm going to call this guy. I'm going to tell him to fuck off. And then I'm going to hang up. I'm not debating it. I'm not going to fucking argue. Ring the phone. Go fuck yourself. Hang up. Block him. That's what I would do. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Chris, you made, uh, for people that, uh, I'm sure most people know, but you have a very successful podcast you've been doing for a long time. And you made some news recently with the uh, 
Bob Rock interview and the yeah. Nikki Six bass thing, which immediately led to a retraction of some sorts, didn't it? It wasn't a retraction. What happened was, and you know this, you do an interview with somebody, it's typical media, and they pull the parts they want to pull out and right. make a big thing of it. What Bob was saying, if you listen to the whole interview, that at the time, Nikki was newly clean. If you remember Dr. Feelgood, that was when they were sober for the first time ever. And what Bob was alluding to that Nikki was saying, I don't know how to play bass without being fucked up. Like, I don't know, I don't know what I did before because I was wasted. So right. I don't know what to do. That's what he was saying. And that's what Bob said in the retraction. He just said, you got to listen to the whole thing. Now, Bob is such a great guy. He's from Winnipeg, just like I am and Fitz. Uh, charmer, awesome guy. And he did not disparage Nikki in that at all. He even went on to say that Nikki went and took lessons over the last few years and, and is, is, is just an excellent bass player all across the board. And they've got a the great rock and roll band. So it's always good for me, though, when stuff like that happens, because then people mm -hmm. go back and listen to the podcast, which, as you know, there's so much content out there that the more people can, um, you know, find a reason to, 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 to want to listen to your show, the better it is. So I was just glad Bob was cool. He wasn't angry. He was just like, this is what I really said, but I want you guys to understand this is what I really said. So it was, he, he was, he contacted us, uh, my producer and, and, and asked if we could post this retraction, which was a really well typed out, you know, four or five page Instagram, uh, you know, Instagram series of photos and very, very classy in my opinion. So wait, you're telling me that there was internet clickbait and something was taken out of context. Isn't that crazy? Never heard. I've never, <laughs> never experienced that before. Never, yeah, exactly. never heard such things. That's that's crazy talk, Chris. Um, it's hogwash. Yeah. All right, last thing, and I'll let you guys go. Since we're talking eighties, Kiss, and everybody go see Quarantine. Those guys just mentioned the dates. If you're in those cities, um, each of you, PJ, will start with you. Your favorite non-original lineup Kiss record? Oh, you know, this one's actually funny because. For the longest time, I I swore off this record just because of the title track that, and I stand by. I just don't like it. So, but I'm gonna have to say Crazy Nights. And, wow. and if you took if you took the song Crazy Nights off of it, it's awesome. It's just you know, they just hit it. I mean, well, you're talking about '80s non makeup in, in general. Well, the 80s, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, mean the '80s era, but you know the non-original band. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not talking okay. like Creatures of the Night. So yeah, the non-makeup era. Let's leave it at that. Okay, so no, Crazy have, Nights I, I would qualify. Go, Crazy Nights, yeah, but uh, I think Revenge has to get the nod for me. So wait, you're going Revenge Hold over on. Crazy Nights? Over Crazy Nights, yes. And we actually did. We did a talk to Jericho going head to head, Crazy Nights versus Revenge, and Revenge came up the winner. Well, and I, I think, you know, um, Revenge is always, to me, and I said it so many times, Revenge to me is my favorite Kiss studio record. Um, wow. Over any of them. Uh, but I'm really into Crazy Nights as well. Um, but the one that I've really been getting into a lot lately is is the Gene songs on Asylum. When I was in high school, I was really anti-Gene uh, just because of the way it looked, and I, th I thought his stuff wasn't as good as Paul's. And of course, they never had a Gene video between Creatures of the, of the Night, between I Love It Loud and, and, and um, Unholy. But those songs on Asylum are really, really good, Gene's tunes. Um, so that gets a big honorable mention for me uh, over, you know, over the ones on, on Crazy Nights for sure. So what's your record, Jericho? Is it, is it Revenge? Oh, you just said oh, it's your favorite yeah. record, yeah. Revenge, period. Revenge, like I said, Revenge is my favorite non, uh, non original. Line. My favorite, my favorite Kiss studio record ever is Revenge for me. See, I, I vote, and I've even talked with Bruce about this. And I, when I say this, I got to be really careful because I'm not, I'm not disparaging Revenge. I don't dislike the record, but I've always felt it's tremendously overrated. I, I wouldn't even put it in my top. Like I don't know, eight Kiss records. It, I, I just, I just don't think it's a great record. And I know Listen, that, I know you, most people love it from that era. I know it's like considered the standout, but it's not for me. We had a high, a very thorough, in-depth conversation, going track for track, and the importance of it. Listen to that 
head-to-head revenge versus crazy nights with all the guys in quarantine that we yeah. can talk to Jericho. It's a good list, good points, and, uh, you know, maybe help you understand why so many people choose it. Yeah, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't put that against, I wouldn't put those, I mean, there's two such different records. I mean, revenge is them trying to get to a, back to tough, heavy meat and potatoes. Crazy Nights was the total opposite. Ron Nevison, the most polished thing they could come up with, keyboards all over it. So it's a totally, totally different thing. Why compare those two records? Just because they're back to back? Well, I think because they're probably two of the best non-makeup, non-original. I'm an asylum guy. I'm an asylum guy all yeah, the way. Okay. All right. Well, the reason the reason why we did it that way is for the, for the classic album class for people that listen to Talk is Jericho is we pick two records by the same band that have the same amount of songs on the track. And then we do a song-by-song debate, uh, you know, Crazy Nights versus Unholy. And then you debate the tracks and decide which one is better. So that's why for this, like, we could do Lick It Up versus Asylum, for example, because they both have 10 songs, whereas Revenge and Crazy Nights both have 11 songs. So that's kind of how I, how I structured it. Yeah, Asylum to me was like when you go back and listen to Asylum, it was it was them, you know, Kiss it, through that period they were either going to be super commercial like Crazy Nights and super polished, or they were going to be in their metal phase, which they got closer to around the time of Revenge. Asylum to me was them walking that line perfectly and getting back to just being a straight up hard rock band. And I agree with you, Chris, the Gene songs on that record, Secretly Cruel and all that stuff, Trial by Fire, really good. Great singing too. I mean, yeah, Secretly Cruel is so good. Yeah. So, well, listen, we could go into this geek zone forever. Um, (laughs) We've already spent an hour doing it. Uh, You guys, um, Anything else beyond the what we've talked about that you want to plug that you have coming up? Chris, what do you got as far you got obviously wrestling stuff going on and anything else you want to hit? Yeah, once again, we just want to tell everybody that if you dig KISS in general, if you dig 80s KISS and you live in Pittsburgh uh, on the 29th, Columbus, Ohio on the 30th, and Franklin, Ohio, which is in the Dayton area on July 1st, come and, and hang out with quarantine. I guarantee it's a rock and roll party in every uh, every sense of the word, um, and we're really looking forward to it, man. It's the first quarantour. We're getting in the van, baby. PJ, you got shows with Steve. Are you doing any trickster stuff? What what else you have going on? Oh yeah, yeah. Steve and I are going to be pretty busy this summer. Um, we've been busy doing our hybrid trickster acoustic show, which is basically a a acoustic show on steroids. You know, there's backbeat. There's you know, drums, there's Steve doing shred solos on his you know, hybrid uh, acoustic sonic guitar, which is an acoustic and an electric in the same. And, you know, him and I sing the songs and we've been just doing storytelling with it. So it's not like a big rock show. We, we, we come out, we play and sing the songs and we talk about it. We tell jokes. <laughs> you know, you know, Steve and I better than anybody. You know how we, you know, can uh, carry a room. Yeah, we got some shows, you know, as soon as next week. You know, we're up in uh, Dalton, Massachusetts on the 9th, Sam on the 10th. And, you know, you can go to Trickster Acoustic on Instagram, all the dates, or my socials, all the dates. I'm always plugging away, or Steve's. And, uh, yeah, we'll be busy. We're out there all summer. And you guys, yeah, and you guys were playing shows with Eric Martin, but I know Eric's about to do Mr. Big again. So is that backburnered? Yeah, pretty much. You know, he's been busy. He's out with Avantasia. He's out in South America doing solo stuff. Now Mr. Big's getting back together. Um, we do have one show in September, um, Hinkley, Minnesota. You know, that old Rocktember thing. Yeah. So that's always a great show. So uh, we have one of the books. But, you know, he's pretty busy. You know, I'm pretty busy. But we'll get it back together. All right. Well. Uh, always good to catch up with you guys. I hope we can do it in person soon. And uh, congrats on everything. And I'm sure I'll see you somewhere uh, out there soon, somehow. Very cool. Yeah, see you down yeah. the shore. If you guys want to come rock with us, it's quarantine with a K.com. All the ticket information is on there. Eddie, thanks for having us on, man. It's always a pleasure. And uh, hopefully next time we're in Vegas, we can meet up and, and say hi. Yeah. Uh, but I got to go. I got to get ready for Halloween, which is and always <laughs> will be my UFO. <laughs> Well, oh, yeah. enjoy. I'll talk to you guys. Take care. <laughs> Cheers, Thanks, man. Thanks, Edward. See you, man. Thanks, Pete. Bye. See you, pal. 
Well, thanks to two good old buddies right there, Chris Jericho and P.J. Farley, for joining me. I spoke to P.J. about those shows that uh, those guys are doing with Quarantine, and uh, it's good stuff doing all those Kiss cover tunes, so be sure to check them out if they have some dates coming your way. And, of course, check them out together playing in the band Fozzy. Check me out on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page. And be sure to listen to Trunk Nation Monday through Friday on Faction Talk, Sirius XM Channel 103, live at 3 o'clock Eastern Time daily or anytime on the Sirius XM app. That's where all the interviews you hear on the podcast come from. And if you only listen to the podcast and you can get Sirius XM, you're only getting a tiny taste. So be sure to join me for the daily radio show. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Catch you next Thursday for another episode and hopefully on the radio each and every weekday for Trunk Nation. Take care.